Welcome to Night Night Bitch. I'm your host, Molly, your guide to awe-inspiring texts read by me or in the voices of their original creators. Please know I don't own any of this content. It's all freely accessible online and duly cited in my episode descriptions for your reference. This podcast is a creative outlet for me, so I don't update it as regularly. But if you'd like to subscribe to my other podcast, Back From The Borderline, I release two thought-provoking episodes each week. And now, let's dive into the episode. Welcome. It's time to rest your weary mind, unwind, escape the matrix, and explore the arcane. We live in a culture that is rapidly losing its grasp on myth and meaning. Exploration of philosophy, depth psychology, esotericism, the occult, myth, and mysticism have been proven to inspire awe. Such experiences of daily awe have been shown to be psychologically beneficial and aid in the potential expansion of consciousness. Each time we're here together, I'll select a reading, article, or sample audio that could increase your opportunity for such experiences. While you listen, you might fall asleep. You might wake up. You might do both. Maybe finding the perfect balance between awake and dreaming is exactly what you always needed. Night night bitch. This is the exercise for your own development process designed by you. You should be hearing my voice in your right ear. Remember the purpose, your purpose for this exercise. And begin your pre-preparation process now. The affirmation beginning, I am more than my physical body. On Crossing the Abyss by Frater Archer In summer 2013, I crossed the abyss in a vision. Over the course of the last year, I have been dealing with the consequences of this magical act in its various forms. It taught me as much about divinity as it did about myself. In particular, it taught me about the fragility of our human lives and the immense contrast to that which we find in the eternal silence and vibrant presence of divinity. While the former is constantly passing through different states of creation, the latter never enters into creation fully. What I'm sharing below are my personal findings from crossing the abyss, returning from it, and trying to reintegrate my life after this experience. First, we will take a look 
what the crossing of the abyss actually refers to. A lot has been written about it, but very little has been explained. Then we will examine the inner state we're thrown into as part of this experience. Rather than trying to predict what type of life changes we should expect as part of this transition, let's examine how we are likely to experience these. Finally, we will end with some very pragmatic survival tips that I found highly useful during my own experience. A final word of caution, not every magical experience that is possible needs to be made. Curiosity and fascination should be ruled out as motivators for taking life-changing decisions. It has to be hoped we don't decide to give birth to a child because we are interested in what the experience might be like. Hopefully, we decide to give birth because we are willing to take responsibility for the life we create. It's the same with defining the milestones of our magical journey. Don't allow tradition to define which experiences you are supposed to make at which point in your life. Be your own guide. In order to support you in your own decision-making, I hope the below considerations are helpful. Frater Archer, Munich, Spring 2014. Part one. What is the nature of crossing of the abyss? The experience of crossing the abyss is triggered by a liminal rite and the results in a series of liminal experiences in our everyday lives. It describes nothing other than the actual process of crossing the abyss, i.e. the passing over the visionary threshold that lies between creation and divinity as well as hopefully a safe return of the practitioner into creation. The term's not specific to a particular rite or tradition of magic, but describes an underlying pattern of human existence. When we cross from creation to divinity, we are stripped bare of all created forms that we hold as part of our own being, our body, our ego, our memories, our mind, etc. What passes through to the other side of the threshold is the individualized spark of divinity that we carry within ourselves. Rather than the crossing itself, it's the process of reintegration into the world of creation upon one's return that can be the even more problematic and painful experience. How this process of passing over the abyss is done is the subject of much speculation. Personally, I know of three pathways and have only practiced the first one, in vision, in meditation, or in ritual. Each of these paths over the abyss leans on different skills in the practitioner. Therefore, it's wise to choose our path in line with our main field of practice and experience. However, whatever path we choose, the consequences on our everyday lives are likely to be very similar. Interestingly, these consequences and the related process of reintegration upon one's return is almost neglected in the occult literature. Maybe we can take this as a hint at how many of the authors actually are writing from first-hand experience. The truth is that many people who have never set their foot into a magical circle are dealing with the consequences of passing over the abyss. 
people who have been traumatized through severe injuries, war experiences, natural catastrophes. From a psychological point of view, we could describe one aspect of the experience as a trauma that results in dissociation with ourselves, the life we lead, the people around us, possibly even our own bodies and ways of thinking. However, while the actual real-life experience might be the same for non-magicians and magicians, there are two essential differences to observe. One, the magician is undertaking this passing deliberately and with very well-defined intent. The non-magician is thrown into the experience and will mostly perceive themselves as passive and victimized. Two, for a short period, the magician is encountering divinity on the other side of the abyss. The non-magician remains focused on the pain and horror of losing oneself and being torn out of one's personal experience. Whether we go through this experience as magicians or non-magicians, the crossing of the abyss comes with the end of meaning as we knew it, and the beginning of a journey towards a new kind of meaning. The magician is supported on this path through a brief encounter of divinity as well as the fact that they chose to undertake this journey voluntarily. The war victim or cancer patient do not have these luxuries. Instead of divinity, they only encounter the pain of losing parts of themselves, and instead of voluntarily letting go, things are taken from them. So while the psychological consequences both groups are dealing with might be relatively similar, the magician is offered a much broader set of resources and coping mechanisms to overcome them. The real-life consequences of crossing the abyss are a whole different minefield again. Many people think that this is the experience of a psychological type and therefore just, quote, in their heads. They are simply wrong. If done properly, the actual passing happens on a level that might be accompanied by our consciousness, but actually happens on a much deeper and more essential level of creation. The spark that passes over the abyss in the end is the spark that has maintained us over many incarnations. It has nothing to do with the person that carries a specific name or eye color in this very life. It is our essence as a created being. Upon our return, therefore, we should expect all layers of our existence to be affected by this magical act. Yet we might experience severe life changes. We might lose relationships or jobs. And we might get sick. Most of all, however, we shouldn't expect to recover from these events as the same person as we've been before. It's the nature of significant change that leaves us as a different being to who we once were with all bridges burned to our previous selves. As part of my own journey, I have experienced much of the above. In addition to the severe psychological distress that came with it, I almost lost my job as well as the wonderful relationship with my wife. Maintaining and rebuilding both of it was the work of many months. Like many others, I also needed to redefine my entire magical path as much of it had turned meaningless as a result of this visionary act. Finally, later on, I was faced with emergency surgery. 
I lost an organ and was confronted head-on with the possibility of dying. It was a pretty full-on year, but the point is this. We can't reverse the decisions we take, yet as magicians we hold the privilege of choice. If we're allowed to choose, we better know what's at stake and all the things we might be paying with. Choose wisely is just another way of saying be careful which doors not to open. Not all experiences that are possible are needed. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. The real question is, is it necessary? And to answer this question, we need to really know ourselves. Now, I hope the above helped to clarify what the actual experience of crossing the abyss as well as the specific consequences will differ in each of our lives. However, where we should expect some consistency at least is the way how these consequences of loss, weakness, dissociation, and meaninglessness are experienced from within. Ultimately, the makeup of our human minds and bodies is relatively comparable. Thus, if we get exposed to specific spiritual forces, we should expect similar reactions. So what is the experience of crossing the abyss? There's a category of human experiences that we can go through that are so intense, that demand so much of us, that we simply struggle to reflect on them while we are passing through them. While being in the middle of such experiences, our focus mainly is to stay in one piece. Our body focuses on not becoming distanced from itself and is constantly busy recalibrating its boundaries so the seeming threatening forces around it don't pull us apart. Reflection, if ever, only follows much later. Being exposed to such experiences can easily feel like being mentally numbed. Our mind goes idle for long stretches of time while our body and soul are busy absorbing new impulses and often blows. Putting our minds at rest during these times is critical as well as allowing our body consciousness to lead us through them one day after another. Unfortunately, there are also times when our minds easily get scared. They fall prey to fear because they can't control. In most cases, they don't even contribute to any meaningful way to the experience. In theory, our mind's job is to simply get out of the way while we engage with the world in a much more essential than purely mental ways. Regrettably, our minds hate getting out of the way, just as much as they hate resting, listening, or being formed by forces they can't constrain. As much as I'm ready to understand the process I'm currently in, this pattern seems to be at the core of crossing the abyss. People have called it a state of being ready to offering up ourselves, and I can see a lot of truth in this. Once we're in the process of crossing the abyss, we're no longer in control of what's happening to us. Our challenge in such a situation is not to maintain our form or shape through protection or shielding ourselves from the incoming forces, but to stay soft and resist the temptation of becoming rigid. Control at this point in time sits on the other side of the table. Just like a substance reacts to the exposure of acids or the blow of a hammer, so we need to react to these experiences rather than trying to prepare for them proactively. In situations like these, power can only flow from the present tense. 
Tradition also holds that while crossing the abyss doth, we can easily become the trap we get caught in. This as well makes a lot of sense to me. In a state of blindness and needing to let go, there's nothing more tempting to our minds than the seeming solidness of knowledge. Such knowledge can come in many forms, in the attempt of using books as anchors of truths, in the attempt of compiling voluminous records of our own traditions and researching minute details of our magical past or in the form of huge tables and structures that are meant to form and contain the chaos we find ourselves exposed to. True strength lies in allowing such attempts for stability to happen whenever we need them and to let go of them as soon as we're ready to flow again. Releasing the anchor doesn't mean we have reached the harbor. It means that amongst all the tides, we deserve some time to rest. Maybe think of the vision of death as described in Josephine's magical knowledge series. She writes, Once we have crossed the river of death, we begin to ascend the huge mountain of oblivion and rebirth. Our life, all of our living memories begin to fall off like pieces of an armor that we leave behind on the trail. As we ascend, each step turns more difficult. There's a moment in this ascent when we lose consciousness of whether that we shed is still a piece of the armor or pieces of our own skin. The boundary of our self blurs and we lose awareness of the space between center and periphery. Crossing the abyss is not dissimilar to the experience of death. While all of yourself is at stake, you cannot rush it nor can you push it. You can only decide when to slow down, to catch your breath and when to get up and take the next step. To walk into death is a difficult undertaking and being gentle with oneself is just as important as being persevering. Or maybe think of a scabbard. What delicate balance for it to strike between being soft and flexible as well as taut and tight. If the scabbard contracted too tightly, it got cut by the sword. If it expanded too widely, it would lose grip on the blade. A good scabbard does not get bruised when the sword is inserted and equally it will hold the blade tightly when turned on its head. A good scabbard is a very intelligent being. It has mastered the art of embracing. It has mastered the art of balancing softness and hardness to sheath what otherwise could bring death. For anyone who might think these considerations to sound rather abstract, believe me, once you're back from the abyss, they will take on a very tangible echo. The actual problem with crossing the abyss is not how to initiate the process, but how to complete it in one piece without getting broken or stuck. As mentioned above, the process itself isn't a psychological one. However, our psyche is one of the main filters through which we are experiencing it. Thus, preparing your psyche for when it will get hit by such a wave of power and change simply is a reasonable thing to do. Here are a few practical tips that might help anyone at this junction on their magical journey. They might also help in many other challenging life experiences. Of course, I had days where I neglected each one of them. Luckily, I also had days where I recovered from my own foolishness. Finally, it's important to understand that the below advice has nothing to do with comfort once you're back from the abyss. Instead, each point has much more to do with survival or remaining sane. 
revisit your foundations. By the time we reach the threshold of the abyss, most of us will have practiced magic for at least a decade, if not more. Equally, most of us will have outgrown the strict regime of daily ritual practice that is essential for building foundational magical skills during the early years. At this stage, it might be helpful to revisit your early foundations and pick up again a regular routine of simple beginner's practice. Most of all, what we will gain from it is a stability when needed. When the storm is at its peak, these will prove to be a safe haven practices that offer much needed shelter and support. Such practices can be traditional and straightforward as the middle pillar ritual, the lesser banishing pentagram ritual, elementary energy returning, or basic cleaning rituals as part of your morning routine. Many of us wondered why such a huge amount of repetitions of these introductory rites were necessary when we first picked them up. Now is the time when we harvest the fruits of the ritual patterns we seeded as neophytes. Only if these choreographies of energy and power are deeply embedded into our body and psyche, as well as activated by the spiritual beings under whose protection they work, will they help us to quickly re-establish a balance that otherwise would be unattainable. Think of them as the skeleton of your magical practice that provides stability and strength to your being from within. If nurtured well during your magical youth, you'll be able to now greatly benefit from it. Now also keep yourself grounded. Maybe even more basic than the previous point is this one. In times of radical change, always keep at least one foot solidly on physical ground. Most of the practices that fall into this category are simply sound advice to anybody who's at risk getting lost in their own imaginations. Work out or go for a run regularly so your body is offered a natural way to reduce stress and positively exhausted by the time you go to bed. Cut screen time to a healthy minimum. Of course, you don't need to socially isolate yourself. Rather, you need to watch the danger of isolating yourself and withdrawing from the physical world by spending too much time online or in front of the TV. These days, that's such a convenient trap for your imaginations and fears to lock you in. Instead, revisit the activities you enjoyed before the virtual world invaded your life to the extent that it currently does. Pick up an old offline hobby again, work in the garden, redecorate your flat, or begin to paint again. There are no limits to your creativity. The only thing to ensure that it finds a path is to flow out in the physical world and that it isn't cutting off from growing roots by being trapped online entirely. Finally, this point can also mean it might be wise to stay away from magic altogether for a while. Don't forget, you don't give up on being a magician simply because you offer your mind sufficient time to heal. The experience you're going through right now is truly significant, like a submarine quake or a buildup of energy inside a volcano. Times of outer stillness and rest will be needed to allow your body and soul to concentrate your energies where they are needed. Just because you don't do magic doesn't mean that you're not involved in it or processing it. If you're anything like me, just add another month of rest when you actually think you're ready to engage in magical practice again. Get therapy. <laughs> yes, at this point on your magical path, this might be a very good idea. However, I'd strongly advise against picking up any classical types of long-term therapy, such as psychoanalysis while you're crossing the abyss. If you haven't started such a psychological journey at an earlier stage of your path, they can easily result in simply more damage right now. 
What we don't need at this point is a therapist who tries to explain our current state of distress through childhood experiences or how we are stuck in our anal phase. Rather, we need a therapist who helps us pay more attention to the present moment, to reconnect with our body and who can support us in being okay with feeling pretty shaken and out of shape for at least a while. So look for types of therapy that offer short-term interventions oriented towards increasing your resilience and maybe readjusting some of your stress-related coping mechanisms. Well-known forms of short-term therapy could be something like gestalt therapy. Also, ensure you find a therapist who you really trust and feel comfortable with. It might take visiting a few of them until you find a safe place. Next, stay away from important decisions. It'd be expected that while you're crossing the abyss, you'll gain access to some pretty unfamiliar perspectives on your current life. Existing relationships, commitments, or day jobs might seem less meaningful, even optional and irrelevant. Should this be true for you, chances are you've grown more unstable than you might think, and the above three steps are critical to revisit. If you truly manage to get to the abyss and begin to cross it, one would expect you to have acquired quite some experience with managing magical change in your life. It's simply unlikely that anything you believed in before you set your foot on the abyss was either irrelevant, vain, or simply wrong. Rather, it might be that your decision-making filters are being shaken, broken down, or even rebuilt more than you are used to. During such phases, it's important to stay away from important life decisions and to be able to bear up and persevere in the inner tension that this comes with. There simply is no easy way out of your current situation, except for maybe accepting it and allowing yourself to experience it for what it is. Chances are that experiencing the very feelings you're exposed to right now is actually part of you crossing the abyss. Wherever you turn, they would follow you. See, magic works through your physical, astral, and mental bodies. They're used as mirrors that help expose you to and reflect certain experiences, emotions, and states of being onto you. If these mirrors are tarnished or overshadowed, it doesn't matter what's reflected in them. Their tarnish will remain the same. Staying grounded is so important because it allows you to cope with and tolerate these radically changing perspectives on your life. Take each one of them and look into them like you would look into a magical mirror. But rather than getting lost in what they show you, accept it objectively and begin to learn about the mirror itself. Don't be a coward and don't be a hero. Remember what we said about the scabbard above? This is basically the same advice in more human terms. Remember that both states are temporary. The strength you feel as well as the weakness you endure. While you'll recover from the latter eventually, the former is a temporary gift. These truly are the skills of the mature adult learner, knowing when to push through as well as knowing when to let go. If you'll cry every time you feel tears behind your eyes, crossing the abyss will easily leave you emotionally depleted and broken halfway through the journey. If, on the other hand, you can't see the moments of weakness and recovery coming before you run out of strength, the whole experience will cut much deeper into your bones than it has to. Let's put the finger on the wound. Being a coward means acting with less courage than we actually have. It means making ourselves smaller than we are in order to attract pity. Searching for pity, on the other hand, is a completely useless and dysfunctional behavior for anyone on the magical path. 
Whenever we're suffering or weak, we need to look for places of recovery and rest ourselves and not for others to pamper us. Neither spirits nor spouses get paid to lick our magical wounds. If the price of our magical practice turns into a burden for others, it's likely we will either have risked too much or aren't sufficient responsibility for our own decisions. Both are good reasons to slow down and closely examine our state of being and whether we actually hold back on our own strength in order to draw it from others. Yes, people who behave like cowards are often nothing but energy vampires to others. Trying to be a hero on the other side means naively accepting more risk than we actually can afford. It means acting as if we are bigger than we are in order to receive recognition for something that we aren't. Acting like a hero is the modus operandi of the narcissist. Unfortunately, in most cases, their behavior results in more damage to themselves and their loved ones than simply behaving like Johnny White Sox would. Neither spirits nor spouses get paid to adore us for something that we are just faking. Instead of showing off our fake armors, we should rather accept the reality of how thin and fragile our skin and bones are underneath. Again, true strength results from the humbleness and knowing exactly what's at stake in each situation. Thank you for venturing into the unknown with me. Full details about the selected text are available in the episode description. My selected readings are for the purpose of research and study, entertainment, discussion, and consciousness expansion. The views and opinions expressed in the included readings belong to the original authors or creators and may not necessarily reflect my own. The episode description also contains links that will allow you to join the community on social media and support the continued production of this podcast. Don't forget to follow the show on your favorite podcast player so you're alerted when new episodes are released. In a wonderland they lie, dreaming as the days go by, dreaming as the summers die, ever drifting down the stream, lingering in the golden gleam, Life, what is it but a dream? Night-night, bitch. <laughs> <laughs>